Welcome to Coffee Calm Connections podcast. I'm Sarah Myerskoff and this is my mission to find some balance in my own crazy chaotic world. You'll hear from people like me, people like you, with real life stories, opinions from mental health professionals and subject matter experts, as well as ideas, tools and confirmation that we really are all juggling the same balls, albeit in different ways. I'll test the ideas and together we can overcome custard brain, crippling worry and overwhelm and hopefully find just a little bit of peace and enjoyment. Good morning, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me on this cold uh, Tuesday morning uh, for our podcast today. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I'm really excited about the topic of conversation and um, I wonder if you want to give us a bit of background as to who you are and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, first of all, thanks for um, thanks for inviting me, Sarah. Um, and I'm I'm Robert. I'm from Manchester and Salford Samaritans, um, and I currently uh, do the work what we call the workplace outreach, which means I uh, talk to companies, uh, raising awareness about Samaritans, who we are and what we do, but also very much talking about the power of listening and and how every single one of us can be part of the solution because every single one of us can listen. I think that is a really powerful message and I actually saw something on a a group that I'm part of from the Dalai Lama this morning, it was one of their their posts, which was absolutely about how everybody in the world has a duty to make it a happier, kinder place and how listening is fundamental to that. So I think everybody understands, yeah, yeah, listening, I hear what you say, blah, blah, blah. But there's another level and I think there's a, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in really engaging in listening. And one of the things that I've found I've done and, 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 and tried really hard to change is I'm ready with an answer while you're talking. That's not listening. I've already got an agenda that I'm putting forward. So I think we're really talking about active listening. And I wonder if you could kind of talk me through the work you guys do, the wheel of listening and 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 what people listening to this podcast could take away from it, what they can do or look for in their own personal lives to to get better. That's a a really important point, Sarah. And listening is something we we do all the time without thinking about it. And a lot of us think we're great listeners, but we don't actually think about what we're doing and what good listening is. Um, And I remember before I became a Samaritan, I thought I was a great listener. I used to jump in with advice. I used to try and cheer people up bring the conversation back to me but of course that's not listening to understand that's listening to react and I think the point you made about jumping in with advice and trying to fix things is is really important and I think one of the things I I certainly learned when I became a Samaritan was that you have to give yourself permission not to fix and not to find a solution because there isn't a solution necessarily but what we can do is to allow somebody the space to tell their story out loud and as somebody is telling their story out loud it begins to make sense to them so what we're doing is we're not offering therapy we're not trying to diagnose anything we're trying to help somebody to craft their story out loud and the 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 way we sort of interact with that story is to help it help it grow basically so that somebody can reframe it perhaps make a few different decisions about what might happen next and also to give what's happening to them some shape as well and once it has a shape then you can begin to begin to understand and begin to begin to deal with it um i think that's really powerful um 
I'll tell you why. I'm just thinking from a personal perspective. How many times I've had a feeling or been worried about something and it's only when I've articulated it out loud that I've realised what actually the, the, the core issue is. And often I'll say to my husband, oh, did you know this about me? And he'll say, yes, I've been telling you for years. But his advice to me or the way he's articulated it to me isn't what I needed. I had I had to to do that myself. So this is in essence what you're talking about, isn't it? Giving somebody that supportive space to it articulate is. it. It is, and it's really it's really interesting with with the Samaritans calls because we as listeners disappear from the conversation. It's not about us at all. We can exchange a name. If we're asked, we may say which branch we're in or which region we're in. But apart from that, we say nothing about ourselves at all. We are totally focused on the other person and getting them to get their story out and to help them to understand their story. So any solution we might have or any idea that we think might work for us is totally irrelevant. We can help the caller to, to move towards you know, looking at various options that might be available to them and and helping them to choose which options may be available to them. But when we jump in with with a fix, we're often thinking of a fix that would work for us because we're looking at the situation through the lens of our own experience. And a really powerful part of the whole Samaritan's listening style is the whole role of silence. Now, by that I mean just biting your tongue, just taking a pause, just just resisting the temptation to jump in, perhaps leaving a bit of silence for a, few, for a few minutes because that's when the work is being done quite often. And if we jump in too quickly, there's a number of traps that we might fall into. The first trap is that we might be interrupting the caller's train of thought. They're literally trying to think what words they can use to put together whatever it is they need to see it say next. The second trap we might jump into is we might interrupt them literally plucking up the courage to say what they're going to say next. And also, if, if we jump in too quickly, that can often be the space where we're tempted to, to cheer somebody up and say, oh, don't worry, I'm sure it'll be fine. And if we try and cheer somebody up, we've minimised what they've just said. And a big part of what we do when we're listening is to react. And if somebody tells us something that's really difficult... We say that sounds really hard so that the person on the call understands that we've got it. We understand how hard this is. And another sort of trap, if we jump in too quickly, can, that can be that that's the time when we're, we're tempted to put in a quick fix. And as I said, that would be often a quick fix from our perspective and our understanding of this type of situation, what we might do in this situation. And that's nothing to do with the caller and their understanding of the situation. Uh, and another reason, another sort of trap of jumping in too quickly is when we can sense something coming down the track that we're going to find hard and we don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable for us. So we've just got to resist that and keep the conversation on the track that the caller is taking us down. However that uncomfortable that might be, us. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I'm just going to replay it back to you in a slightly different way to see that I've got it. 
for the lay person listening to this that is not a trained Samaritan's caller or is not a trained counsellor or therapist, there are three things that you've just said to me that I think could potentially be blockers to me listening. And once you're aware of those blockers, you can work for them. So the first one is ego, bringing it back to me. So drop, be aware of yourself and drop the ego. The second one is um, defense mechanism. So I'm defensive because I'm uncomfortable. I'm, uh, you know, so I put blockers in that will stop you going down the train of thought you're, you're going. And I suppose the third one is learning to be comfortable with silence. Because I know from my, from my own experience, that slightly awkward silence is where the magic happens. And it might be, as you say, the magic happens because the other person's been allowed to finish their train of thought, been allowed to get something difficult out, but also where pennies drop. Um, or also really importantly, and I know a lot of reporters use this, it's where people say things they haven't pre-determined and that's often where the subconscious is talking isn't it so so for me I've taken what you've said as ego uh, uh, sort of defensiveness and and comfort with silence as the three areas that I could work on with my friends and family when I'm listening or, or being told one of the things that I want to ask you about from your training is if somebody does say something to you that's that you don't know how to react to what what advice do you have there and this happened to me very very recently a friend confided something that i had no idea about and it was absolutely horrific and i i didn't know how to respond and i, I wonder if you have any advice from that yeah the the um the, the sort of the way that we we try and respond is to acknowledge what somebody said to us now i don't know what your friend said now don't we? we don't need to know in this context obviously um, but I think it goes back to what I said before, that we acknowledge that, that something really difficult has happened to that person. Um, and what we don't, it's, I guess it's a question of what we don't do, because it's very easy and often people jump to looking for a silver lining. So somebody tells you something that's quite difficult and will say, oh, well, I'm sure it'll be okay, or something similar happened to my friend and they were okay after a few weeks. We, we don't want to minim, we avoid minimizing whatever somebody's told us by trying to cheer them up and trying to look on the bright side because there may not be a bright side and there certainly wouldn't be a bright side at that moment. So by reacting, what I'm saying is we, we acknowledge how hard that might be. So if somebody, if your friend has told you something really difficult or really upsetting, we say that sounds really difficult and then perhaps follow that up with you know how are you feeling about it now um, um, you know um, yeah you know that sort of thing where we're sort of we're showing that we've got it that somebody has told us something really hard and that we've acknowledged that that emotion if you like is some of what you're saying about acknowledgement and then reframing questions 
So it's a lot of questions, I'm thinking. To, to... Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh, definitely, yes. In fact, when you came back after the little bit that I just said, you, you used a really big part of the listening wheel, which is clarifying and summarising, uh, which is what we do. So you are actually doing then uh, one of the tactics that we have. Uh, so, when, so when somebody's... T- so well done for that. So that was a, that's a good illustration in practice. Uh, so you, you asked for clarification and you summarised. Uh, and that was great because you got to a, you know, a, I hope, <laughs> a clearer understanding of, of what we were talking about. Does that make sense? It does. But what I also did, and question if this is right or wrong, and presumably the answer is contextual, I, I clarified in a way it makes sense to me. So I was very thinking about me, how it would work for me, what I can, how I could participate in this. So... Yes, and, and in this context, that's fine, because you know you're you're hoping to to develop your thinking about this topic. On a Samaritan's call or with somebody who's distressed, that is less of an issue because it isn't about us and our response. Um, it's about the caller and their response. So the context that we're operating in at the moment is is is, is slightly different. And what you did for this context was great. I hope it helped your understanding and clear, it clarified your thinking for future, you know, future action. But on a call, our response into the future wouldn't be all that necessary. It's mm. about the caller's response and helping them to clarify and understand and reframe. I think that reframing word is really important. Can you, can you talk us through the Wheel of Life? You've just mentioned it. Like, what is the Wheel of Life? Where does it start? Uh, it's the, well, we, we call it Samaritan's Listening Wheel. And basically, it's, it's, the, it's the elements of active listening, which we, you know, this is nothing new. <laughs> uh, it's the things that we all do, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty basic. Um, but the, we, are, we present it in quite a neat diagram, which is a circle. Um, and it involves things like, it will be no surprise, uh, asking for clarifying questions, um, re- re- sort of summarising what somebody said just to check we've got it right, um, and also, um, as I said before, reacting. So if somebody tells us something that's really difficult, we react appropriately and show that we've um, that show that we've understood it. Um, we also give short words of encouragement as well because we're talking on the phone. So all that body language about nodding and smiling and leaning forward to show that we're listening isn't there. So we've got to put that in the voice and in the conversation. So we'll think, say things like, mm, yes, I understand, Carry, you know, please go on. That, those sort of punctuation marks that show that we're still listening. We also reflect back. So if somebody is, has said a particular phrase, um, we might reflect that back to them just so that it'll say a little bit more and just expand on it. And as I said earlier, one of the big things is, is silence and learning to use silence is really, really powerful. Um, and as you said earlier on, we, we, we often feel quite uncomfortable with silence, don't we? Partly because of all the things that you said, we want to, we want to help, we want to give advice. Silence is just a bit uncomfortable. Um, but if we, if we just sit with that discomfort for a while, then it does pay dividends because, as you said, the work is being done in the silence for the caller and possibly also for the listener as well, to some extent. 
Absolutely. So I've just made a quick note. So you're, you're, the kind of wheel of listening is react, clarify, summarize, encourage, reflect. Yeah, and also um, uh, open, open. We use open questions obviously as well, rather than questions that just need a yes or no answer. And we tend not to ask why, because why can sound a little bit aggressive um, and a bit judgmental. And also people often don't know why. Mm. <laughs> so we, we try, we use the, the question why very sparingly. But we do ask, you know, we ask open questions wherever we can. How about, what's the kind of training that you guys go through at the Samaritans to do this? Because you said earlier, it's not new stuff, and it isn't, but... It isn't stuff that people are already doing consciously or the majority of people are doing consciously. Some of it happens subconsciously and a prime example was earlier in this call. But a lot of the time you're trapped in this very busy world where you've got an answer, let's bam, let's go, let's move. I can fix it, there you go, there's the answer, move on, crack on, you'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. So how much training do you have to do to un undo some of the patterns that we all fall into. Yeah, the, the training is quite intensive, actually, as you would expect, because we're asking people to do something that's really, really, you know, um, tricky, um, and often in some really highly charged situations. So the initial training is um, a couple of months, um, and there's a really intensive, partly online, partly face-to-face -face training where we do lots of practice, lots of skills practice in listening to different tricky conversations and so forth. So that takes about a couple of months, uh, once a week, um, for a couple of hours. Um, and then after that initial training, we have what we call a mentoring phase, where a new trainee will be doing a shift with an experienced Samaritan who's a mentor, and they can guide them through the shift. Um, talk to them as they're going along, uh, perhaps even you know give a few bits of advice about what to to say in certain situations, and that goes on for another couple of months, two or three months, depending on how you know how well the um, the, the new Samaritan is doing and how much time they've got, and then after the mentoring phase, we have what we call a probation phase, where the new Samaritan can can sign on a shift without their mentor, but but they have to be with an experienced Samaritan, just in case. Um, and then after a couple of months of that, then they're signed off and they're what we call a full Samaritan. So it takes the best part of six weeks, six months, and it's pretty full on. Mm. We do expect people to be have a probably a weekly commitment at that point, um, and it's you know it's full on because they're being asked to do something that's really really important. Mm, absolutely, something that you said earlier which resonated. Uh, you're on the phone. So a lot of the natural body language is taken away from you. And there's been all manner of these type of conversations since COVID and Zoom, and particularly in a sales environment or in a relationship building environment, is it as good online as it is face to face? And this is something you guys have been dealing with from day dot, isn't it? That you've sort of taken away that, um, that face to face. But also what I found interesting, um, in a previous podcast I did, uh, the, uh, the um, psychotherapist was talking to me about AI counselling and how that's something that's coming out now. And with the younger generations, that anonymity is actually quite important for this type of, 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 of work. So it sort of swings in, in roundabouts a bit, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, that's interesting. And the thing with uh, Samaritans is it, it, it's on the phone. 
which is now quite a quaint, old-fashioned technology in some ways. Um, I do think it would be hard on on this sort of format because all this is fine from, for you know it's fine on one level. You know, it's it's efficient in the workplace and, and all the rest of it, but it is also a distraction. And you're looking for some non-verbal clues that are actually hard to spot on video. Whereas on a phone, when you take the visual out completely and it's literally just a voice in your ear and your voice in their ear, that's a really powerful um, communication with no distractions, actually. So all the body language, if you like, comes into the voice. I was uh, reading a book, uh, a book I'm reading recently, uh, a fiction book, you know, sounds irrelevant to this conversation, but one of the bits that came out was the, the character in the book was walking through uh, the forest at dusk and made a comment about, are the smells really more vibrant at that time or is it because your eyesight is reduced so that your uh, smell is increased? And this is kind of the same thing. You're, it's almost like everything's channeled through this one particular sense. That's a really good analogy there, Sarah, actually, and that's absolutely true. Um, and once the visual is stripped out, then, and you literally are, lis you are literally listening, <laughs> um, then all the, you know, the other senses sort of disappear really and are less important and all your concentration is on, is on your sense of hearing because, you know, what you're doing is listening. And, and I'll just mention at this point as well, it's something that that always staggers me every time I think about it. And that is that for Samaritans, listening is literally our only tool. Because we're talking to people, we've no idea who they are, where they are, we can't trace the calls, we can't intervene, we can't enforce anything. All we can do is listen. And just pausing for a minute <laughs> to think about what that means is always staggering, isn't it? It absolutely is and really enforces the message of how powerful real genuine listening is yeah. one of the things that I um, I worry about a lot is is younger generations because I I do it to my kids to my husband uh, everybody else does it to me I'm listening to you yeah I'm listening just let me just I'll just you know <clears throat> and it and it it's this it's not just the phone, it's we're all very adept at multitasking and being efficient and so busy that we've only ever maybe got 10% of our energy on anything. So I think one of the key takeaways from what I'm going to take from you is that really focused on that one sense of listening, even if you know I'm in the same room, put the phone away, turn the smartwatch off, turn the TV off, lock the kids out the room. If, if, I, if, if all I've got to do is listen and I can't fix, and that's essentially what we're saying, then really do listen. Yeah, and also, I mean, I'm really glad you brought the, the subject of the, the sort of technical environment and it comes along with one of those contexts of don't get me started because <laughs> I'll, I'll, we could do another podcast on that and I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, but the, the thing about, about listening is this, and it, it speaks to, first of all, the transformative power of language. As humans, we're meaning-seeking creatures. We're constantly looking for, to understand who we are and how we fit into the world, and we do that through language. But there's also something that's absolutely fundamentally healing and empowering 
by feeling heard by another human being. And perhaps that's something that we all were became aware of in lockdown, for example, when our social contacts were reduced. There's something just so energising about being in a room with another human and making a connection, however, however trivial that might be. But when you're really listening to somebody in this sort of context that we're talking about, it is one of the most, well, if not the most healing and empowering experiences if you're struggling. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know the book, I haven't read it, it's on my, my to-read list, The Five Languages of Love. No, I haven't heard of that. Um, I do hope I've got the title right. I've literally got the book at home. But it is about how people give and receive love in different ways. And that is, going back to what you're saying about meaning, finding meaning. And my husband has read the book and we, we were having a conversation about it. So I receive love from him when he's heard me. I don't mean my language, I mean body language. I mean, I'm sitting on the sofa and I've got a you know face like a, excuse my French, slapped ass, and he brings me a cup of tea. He's heard that there's something going on. Whereas he feels love by touchy-feely. So he wants a hug, he wants a kiss. But I can't give you that unless I feel that you've met my emotional mm. needs. And it, we had this conversation a while ago and it's, I've been meaning to, meaning to read the book because, because that's a big part of communication that I think a lot of us miss because people give and receive mm. it in different ways. And, yes. you know, we take the power of listening out to the wider the power of communication, um, again, is, an, is a whole other podcast mm. and is, is an incredibly powerful uh, area to look at. I think it's really interesting. And also going back to the um, the listening thing as well, and another thing that that proves how important it is is that the thing people complain about most, if they've been in a conflict situation or something's gone wrong at work or at home or in a, an organisation, they feel they've had, there's, there's an injustice. The big thing people complain about is nobody listened to me, and that is is often the thing that hurts the most in whatever the situation was. So again, that's another reminder of just how important this is. And going back to your little point about um, you know social media and so on, and I promise I won't start ranting about this. <laughs> and I mean, you're absolutely right that it's a block to communication. Uh, and if you have your phone out, it's a it's just rude, but also it means you you really cannot concentrate on the other person. You're not giving the same eye contact. Your tone of voice is different. If you had been distracted by a ping from your phone, it takes you a while then to refocus back on what you were going to say. Um, but also, uh, the thing that, that really does concern me, quite apart from the interruption in proper communication, uh, is the fact that increasingly our next thought comes from clickbait from Silicon Valley rather than from our own subconscious. I mean, the human brain is designed to reflect and to, we're designed to explore the world powered by our own curiosity. Um, but increasingly, our attention is taken by something outside us. Uh, and so our sense of agency is reduced. And the opportunity to hear what's actually happening in our own brain is also reduced because you have to allow that space to happen, don't you? For thoughts to come into your conscious mind, from your unconscious mind, 
to make decisions about where you're going to go next, what you're going to say next, what you're going to think next, should come from your curiosity and your engagement with other human beings and with the world. Not because something in Silicon Valley has pinged on your phone, because the algorithm tells them it will keep your attention. Mm, that's very, very powerful way of thinking about it. And as a parent, all kinds of alarm bells have gone off. So I was sitting yesterday, the kids were all playing a big game of Minecraft. It's a different language, different language. I didn't understand the words coming out of their mouth. But that language continues. So then if you listen to the conversations between them, it's all Minecraft jargon or online jargon. It's, it's, it's driven by a lot of Americanisms. And, and uh, yeah, and I think over lockdown, over the past two years of COVID, that's, I, I don't know about anyone else, but that's increased in my family fivefold because, mm -hmm. you know, you're all... I'd all just have the iPad, mummy's trying to work, or whatever it is. So I, I think that's I think that's really, really powerful. And the other question as well, especially with young people, and we are going off the target now, mm. I, I understand that, but uh, is, you know, if you've been immersed in screens too much as a young person, you arrive at the door of adulthood, what do you know about the world? You know, so much culture is passed down through conversations and stories and so forth, even in the West. Um, but if you've... You know, if you've spent your formative years staring at whatever they stare at on a the screen, then what do you know about the real world? And the reason I'm laughing is because this is my uh, rant that I get on uh, in terms of um, a lot of um, social politics coming from screens and not experience. And yeah. there is a massive divide there. Yeah. The experience yeah. shows otherwise. But before yeah. I, I end up going on a complete tangent, yeah. um, I, I just like, if it's okay with you, are you ready for this? Yeah. To clarify and summarize yeah. what I think we've talked about today, because I think it's really important. So the key takeaways for me are listening without ego, without discomfort, um, and without defensiveness. Those three things are really, really important to me. And listening without distraction. And that latter one needs to be brought back into people's awareness. It used to be that if you had your phone out on the dinner table, it was considered rude. Mm -hmm. It's not now. It is the younger generations, well, <laughs> absolutely. But it, it's, it's a, oh, put your phone away. Not a, oh my goodness me, how can you possibly do that? So it, it, it's reducing. It's reducing across the board and, and, and you are taking a massive amount of learning, curiosity and interest out of a conversation by having those distractions. So those are my key takeaways. Is there anything you'd like to add about the Samaritans kind of organisation, uh, you know, to kind of sum up yeah, what we've been talking about. Of, a couple of things. One thing is is the um, is the culture of support within the organisation. Um, and this is one of the things that attracted me once I began to inquire about it. And as Samaritans, we're asking, and I think a lot of workplaces have a lot to learn from this, this model as well. When somebody comes a Samaritan, we're asking them to do something that is really quite challenging. It's tremendously life-affirming as well, but it can be very challenging. We're talking to people in ex often in extreme distress. And there's a whole culture of support surrounding every single volunteer. In the 200 branches across the country, the 20,000 volunteers, 
there's a protocol of support. We only ever do a shift in the branch with another shift partner. We can't do shifts on our own because it's too emotionally risky if we get on a call that's, that's going to be too challenging. So your first level of support is your shift partner. And between calls, we debrief and say, how's your call? You know, was that one tricky? And we'll, we'll support and just talk things through. At the end of a shift, we ring in what we call a shift leader. And that's your first chance to debrief and offload if something's been tricky. Normally, that conversation is the, the, the shift was fine. The next two people are in. We've got enough biscuits. I'm going home now. But if there's something that has triggered something for you, and we all have our trigger points, that's your first chance after your shift partner to talk it through. Um, we also have a system whereby the the sort of log is is scrutinised for what could have been possibly difficult calls. We keep minimal records, absolutely minimal, because it's a totally confidential organisation. But there are ways of telling that a shift could have been tricky, if there's been a very long call, for example, or or a, um, you know, some, a particularly distressing call. So we have somebody who scrutinises the log, and if they see that somebody might have had a difficult shift, we call them and say, it looks like you had a tricky shift the other day, how are you? Now, normally people are fine, but it's nice to be asked. We also have a volunteer care deputy who can give more bespoke support for individuals, perhaps give them leave of absence if they need it, perhaps talk about a particular issue. So there's this layer upon layer upon layer of support for the people who are taking the calls and the, the listener is at the centre of the organisation and I just think about you know education, health service, probation, police, you know whoever and, and just wonder how much support is surrounding those sort of people who also do equally emotionally challenging work and I think putting those layers of support in is, is, you know, would be a real step forward I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Can I just ask uh, before we finish about your volunteer scheme and how, if somebody listening is interested, what they would go about doing? Yeah, they would uh, uh, look on Google for their local branch, um, and each branch has a different different schedule for recruitment. Uh, there's a um, there's a recruitment side of volunteering, volunteer with us piece, and you know you can you can apply, uh, you'd be interviewed, you go through the training and so forth. Um, so it, it's really easy to find and you just look at your local Samaritan branch uh, website and they'll tell you how to do that. The, the training is also, I think it's important to mention, a bit of a filtering process as well for both sides. I mean, it could be that somebody signs up with all, you know, all enthusiasm but realises actually this is a bit trickier than I thought and it's not really for me or I don't have the time uh, because it is quite a commitment. We do hope people will do you know, probably a shift a week. Um, so it is quite a commitment. But the, the sort of final word is that the, the aim of the, the vision of the Samaritans is really, really simple. And it's that fewer people die by suicide. And we do that by easing emotional distress at whatever level it presents itself at. And by easing, the, easing whatever it is that somebody's worried about, then that you know, helps them to reframe what's happening to them, look at it in a different way. Um, and just feel better by being heard by somebody else. And Samaritan, the key thing about Samaritans is we're ordinary people. We're not therapists, we're not um, specialists, we're ordinary people who listen. But by listening, have an extraordinary effect. And just as Samaritans are ordinary people, every single one of us 
is an ordinary person and every single one of us can listen and it's never a mistake to ask somebody are you okay and to stay around and listen for the answer I think that's really powerful can you tell me the number for the Samaritans if anybody listening wants to call it's a, it's a, free, it's a free phone number and it's 116123 people can also email at joe at samaritans.org and in normal non-COVID times, people can also go into the branch for a face-to-face. And the thing about Samaritans is it's totally 100% confidential. We cannot trace the calls. We can't. Is Joe, um, J-O or J-O-E? It is, it's J-O, yeah. Um, so people can, and there's also an online chat as well, but, uh, but the phone is the main thing. We get a call every six seconds across the UK. Um, but people can email, people can do online chat, and in normal times, people come, come into a branch for a face-to-face as well. But it's totally confidential. It would never appear on your phone bill. It's free and it's open 24 hours a day. Thank you very much, Robert. That was really enlightening and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Your reviews, shares and followership is incredibly valuable to us. If you'd like to know more about our work through Coffee Carmen Connection and how we can support you, please email us at hello at coffeecarmconnection.org or follow us on social media. Thank you.